If I can invite you to remain standing for our scripture reading, which comes this morning from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 37 through 52. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee invited to share a meal with him. So Jesus went and took his place at the table. When the Pharisee saw that Jesus didn't ritually purify his hands by washing before the meal, he was astonished. The Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and platter, but your insides are stuffed with greed and wickedness. Foolish people, didn't the one who made the outside also make the inside? Therefore, give to those in need from the core of who you are, and you will be clean all over. How terrible for you, Pharisees! You give a tenth of your mint, rue, and garden herbs of all kinds while neglecting justice and love for God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. How terrible for you Pharisees! You love the most prominent seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. How terrible for you! You were like unmarked graves and people walk on them without recognizing it. One of the legal experts responded, Teacher, when you say these things, you are insulting us too. Jesus said, How terrible for you, legal experts, too. You load people down with impossible burdens, and you refuse to lift a single finger to help them. How terrible for you, you built memorials to the prophets whom your ancestors killed. In this way, you testify that you approve of your ancestors' deeds. They killed the prophets, and you build memorials. Therefore, God's wisdom has said, I will send prophets and apostles to them, and they will harass and kill some of them. As a result, this generation will be charged with the murder of all the prophets since the beginning of time. This includes the murder of every prophet from Abel to Zechariah who was killed between the altar and the holy place. Yes, I'm telling you, this generation will be charged with it. How terrible for you legal experts, you snatched away the key of knowledge. You didn't enter yourselves and you stood in the way of those who were entering. As he left there, The legal experts and Pharisees began to resent him deeply and to ask him pointed questions about many things. They plotted against him, trying to trap him in his words. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. This morning we're going to continue our Lenten sermon series where we're journeying with Jesus as he experienced the transfiguration and then set his face toward Jerusalem In Luke's gospel, as we've seen and have begun to follow along, Jesus goes from the mountaintop experience back into the world where he engages in ministry. As he heals the sick, he casts out evil spirits and demons, he teaches the crowds and the disciples, and he does all of these things with a focus on what he is to do in Jerusalem because we remember that when Jesus gathered with with Moses and Elijah, What they discussed was how Jesus would depart from Jerusalem. This Lent, our overarching theme is for us to consider each week how we might listen to Jesus as we remember the command of God when Peter and James and John witnessed the transfiguration on Mount Hermon. And really, if you think about it, it makes sense for us to always have an ear tuned to God and to Jesus. In fact, that's something we should do. We should pursue it. And we can also look and see and remember how the disciples also heard the voice of God on that day. In last week's scripture, we can also look to Jesus and listen to him as we remember where he told the disciples in the crowds that they needed to ask and they needed to seek and they needed to knock when it came to them and their relationship with God. And he reminded them and us that God is always listening to us. 
And so it's a two-way thing. You know, we are able to listen to God in the same way that God chooses to listen to our words, to listen to our prayers, because God has promised that He will always be listening and that we can always ask and we can always seek and we can always knock and we will know that He will be there. So this morning's scripture reading is a little difficult, more different or more difficult for us to read. Because if you read it, this is not warm and fuzzy Jesus, is it? This is confrontational Jesus at his best. This is the fire and brimstone Jesus. This is the Jesus who is confronting things and challenging things. His words aren't warm and inviting in the way that we read in other portions of the gospel where Jesus invites those that are listening to him to listen and engage and to be part of a relationship. Although I think what we see and are going to see in a minute is that these words are important because they confront and they correct What he sees is obstacles to faithful people becoming faithful followers of God in an even deeper and greater way. Depending on your translation of the Bible, actually the the common English as I was reading it isn't the best translation because some of the other translations, they use the wording, woe is you, Pharisees, woe is you, legal experts. And it's a little more extreme or drastic or dramatic when you read it. But I don't think it matters because in however you read these words, Jesus challenges us. Whether we acknowledge him or not, he challenges how we view him. He challenges how we think and how we might believe that we want to to worship a Jesus that believes like us, that thinks like us, who who has the same values that you and I do. We want Jesus to affirm who we are and what we believe, but the scriptures this morning cause us to really think because they confront us with his words just in the same way that the Pharisees and the legal experts were also confronted with his words. Because what he wanted them to do and what he wants us to do and what he wants the church to think about is the way that that we are able to to use our faith to open the door to God's kingdom in telling them or, or allowing God's grace to pour out from us rather than what they were doing by using God's instruction to keep the door shut from others. Before we begin with the scripture this morning, I'd like to begin with a quick snapshot of the Pharisees and and legal experts. And I know that many of us are familiar with them, but there are a couple of things that I read this past week that jumped out at me that that got me thinking a little differently about this group in in biblical times. And so um, what got me thinking in biblical times is that the Pharisees, according to common people, would have been very highly respected. I think sometimes when we read the Gospels, we tend to to look at the Pharisees with kind of a a scornful eye or or a disdainful eye. We look at them and see how they challenge Jesus' ministry and how they question him and how they pursued him. And so I don't always think that we we see or, or even think about the possibility of them having even a little bit of a positive. But that what they were is they were pious people. They were a religious sect in Judaism who uh, originated about 150 years before Jesus was born when the Jews rebelled against the Romans, called the, the, the Maccabees, rebelled against the Romans, and the Pharisees were part of that. 
In Jesus' time, they had evolved into a highly religious group whose knowledge of the Scripture and passion for defending the Scripture was, was something that people would have looked to them and seen them as very respected and respectful. And this allowed them to have a significant influence over the community. They considered themselves guardians of the truth, defenders of God's honor and glory. They saw themselves as gatekeepers to the kingdom of God, and so they were both religious and political as they sought to combine everyday Jewish life with their moral interpretation of Scripture. And so basically what that meant is they wanted to organize Jewish society and arrange it in such a way that people had to be holy simply by the way they were living each and every day. So that would mean our day was structured in such a way that in everything we did, we were sinless and we were worshiping God and we were doing the things that we needed to do in order to honor God's glory. Where they got into trouble with Jesus is that what they did is elevated their oral tradition on how to live and they put it on the same level as the Scripture. Now, they did it because they didn't want the Scripture infringed upon. But Jesus looked at it and saw that it wasn't a good thing, right? It'd be kind of like if we were reading books of of a different author or, or a teacher, and if we placed all of the words that he or she said in the same level as the Gospel of Matthew. Does that make sense? That's what the Pharisees were doing. Now, here's what jumped out at me last week that I'd never really thought about. As the Pharisees and Jesus would have overlapped in almost every aspect of their lives. So if they went to the synagogue to worship, there would have been Pharisees there and there would have been Jesus there and the disciples. They weren't always opposed with each other. They were not completely at odds with each other, and and so uh, they likely overlapped in everyday living. That meant that when Jesus went to the the synagogue, they would have been there. That would have been that um, they would have heard the same rabbis teach. They would have heard each other read the scriptures when it was their turn in the synagogue and share it with those who were gathered there. That would have meant that Jesus would have known their families and likely grew up with some of them in Nazareth. See, here's the thing. Jesus didn't just drop out of the sky as a 33-year-old man or 30-year-old man and start teaching, did he? And God didn't drop this group called the Pharisees out of the sky either to all of a sudden be op- opponents to Jesus. He would have known them. He would have eaten in their homes, he would have known their children, he would have known their wives. He would have listened to their teachings of the law and what it meant to be holy. And so I think what we need to see and what we remember is they likely were not always at odds with each other. But what Jesus was at odds with was the way that they elevated the oral tradition, the teachings of man, and placed it on the same level as the Word of God. And so I think it makes more sense if you think about it in that way and then think of the scripture that we read this morning where Jesus is questioning the Pharisees and he's questioning them in such a way because he wants them to be thinking about the way that God wants people to follow God's law and not the laws of men that are raised to the same level as God's law. Those are the statements that put him at odds with the Pharisees. 
Those were the teachings that they opposed. Those were the teachings that led them to confronting him. It was when Jesus questioned or asked how they could place their interpretation or oral tradition at the same weight of the scripture, that was when he was brought into direct conflict and tension with them. And so that's what brings us to Luke chapter 11, which is our scripture we're reading today. I hope you notice that Jesus has been invited to the home of a Pharisee. If you read in the Gospels, this isn't an unusual thing. This is something that Jesus does. He engages with those who challenge him. And so he goes, and, and this is the midday meal, and Jesus uh, was noticed that when Jesus sat down, he didn't do the ritual hand washing that he was supposed to have done to be clean for the meal. Luke doesn't tell us really if the Pharisee said anything or if he just had visual surprise or disapproval of Jesus sitting at the table before doing that. But whatever happened, Jesus noticed, and that begins our teaching that we've read today. And basically, in a nutshell, Jesus said this. He confronts a few things. He confronts their practice of, of focusing only on outward behavior. And on the outward way, of they, they focused on, on looking at their, the way that they practiced their faith while overlooking the inward condition of their hearts. And so there's three different things he lifts. He says you focus on tithing, even on that which is not required by God. If you read in the Old Testament, the Scripture says that you were not required to tithe of your herbs. So it's very specific that Jesus says, you even go as far as to tithe your herbs, your mint, your dill, whatever herb you're thinking of, but yet you neglect people. The second that he gives is that they love the places of honor. He says you love the places of honor and the revered greetings that you receive in the streets. And then the third, he says, he compared them to unmarked graves. And so what Jesus is saying to this is that the people would become unclean according to the Old Testament law if they walked over a grave or come in contact with death. And so what Jesus is saying is you're dead inside. Has anyone had everyone tell them, anyone tell them that before? You're dead inside? Isn't that what he's saying to the Pharisees? He's saying, you're dead inside. People come in contact with you and they don't, they don't realize that what they're experiencing or what they're coming in contact with is, is sin or death or something that is not clean. I mean, that's really pretty harsh, actually, if you think about it. But what he's doing is he's getting them to think and to see about the ways that he sees or feels that the rules that they are implementing are placing more obstacles between individuals and the kingdom of God rather than opening the gate to the kingdom. But he counters their hypocrisy with holy love. And if we read later in the scriptures and in other portions of the scripture, he extends compassion and God's grace to those who least expect it. The outcasts, the, the injured, the rejected, the untouchable. But he also makes this same offer to the Pharisees. This is grace, isn't it? Is that Jesus offers them the same opportunity to enter the kingdom of heaven that he offered each disciple. He offers them the same opportunity to enter the kingdom of heaven that he offers to every person that he has healed or cast out demons or whatever other type of contact they came in contact with. The Pharisees are given this opportunity to have their lives changed by following Jesus. It was the same. 
It wasn't some special penance that he required them to do. It wasn't some special offering or gift that Jesus told them they had to give to God. They weren't required to do anything different than you or I except choose to follow him. And that's the exact same invitation that we all have. See, friends, that's the grace in this story is that Jesus, even as he is confronted by these men, he still offers them the same gift of grace and of forgiveness and of everything else that he has offered you and me. One of our examples of a Pharisee getting the exact opportunity to follow Jesus is in John chapter 3. If you want to look, John chapter 3 is the story about a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. He has heard Jesus' teaching and his message of hope and of life, and, and Nicodemus wants to know more. But Nicodemus also doesn't want to irritate all his friends, the other Pharisees. So he shows up to Jesus in the middle of the night because he wants to, to find out more about Jesus. He is becoming a follower of Jesus. He has gotten a glimpse of God's glory in Jesus. And now he wants to know what he needs to do to fulfill and to experience that full glory. And in their discussion, because it's actually a pretty long passage of Scripture in John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus what is the most well-known Scripture in the book of John. Right, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only, one and only Son, that whosoever shall believe in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's those words that are delivered to a Pharisee. Those words of grace and those words that you and I and so many have pinned so much hope upon. And they were not words preached to a crowd. They were not words proclaimed in a temple. Or shared in a synagogue, these are words delivered to a Pharisee in the middle of the night. To Nicodemus, who has discovered that in Jesus Christ, God has flung the door open to his kingdom and to those who choose to follow him. So maybe when we read Luke chapter 11, we can think about this is that what Jesus is inviting the disciples to do is he is attempting to, to redirect and to correct the Pharisees and the legal experts rather than bashing them. For what he's trying to do is he's trying to jolt them into thinking about how they are living to get them to ask themselves the question, is my outward appearance of living matching the inward condition of my heart? How are they practicing their faith and how are they responding to God's kingdom? Those are questions that every one of us could ask ourselves. And really, when we read this passage of Scripture, I think Jesus is inviting us to ask ourselves as well. Where we step back and we ask ourselves the question, how am I living my life? Does my outward appearance match the inward condition of my heart? And where is God in all of this? Friends, some of the Pharisees probably heard Jesus' message and answered in kind. But we know that others continued pursuing him, questioning him, and confronting him. But even to those, Jesus flung the door open. As he has flung it open for you and for me, so that we can enter the gate, so that we can experience the kingdom, and so that we can know the grace that God has offered us 
Not by our work, but by the work of His Son. Amen.